You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Amen. And why don't you guys turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, if you will, and uh, how's it? You guys doing all right? Everyone hanging in there? You guys are alive? You're kind, of, you're kind of waking up? I know. I don't know what it was today, but 8 a.m. was rough today, not going to lie. I was like, we're waking up, but uh, there is a swell in, and I hope you get to enjoy it in one way or another later, whether that means you're going to go get pounded or you're going to enjoy others getting pounded as you watch safely on the beach. But all that to say, we're glad that you're here. If it's your first time visiting, we're, we're, we're humbled that you would take your Sunday to be joining us to worship Jesus, to make much of him. And, and, uh, and my name's Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And this is what we do every Sunday. We really don't have any gimmicks. We don't really have an agenda except Jesus and going through his word and looking at the gospel narrative found in every portion, every area, every corner and facet of the scriptures. And so that's really what we're seeking and what we're trying to do, uh, looking at what God has done in spite of us, for us, and ultimately for his glory. And so if you're new, uh, if you're kind of visiting for the first time, we would pray that that you would put your roots down in this church, that you would uh, be involved, that you would serve, that you would uh, consider this church your home, get plugged in with the Ohana here uh, at Shorebreak. And we're thankful, though, either way that you are joining with us today. And we've been making our way through the book of Malachi. And last week we talked about the burden that is heavier than giving. And the burden heavier than giving is the burden of robbing. It's the burden of robbing. And Israel was guilty of robbing God, but it was not as though they broke in uh, in the middle of the night, had, had maybe a ski mask on, and you know, was they were able to pick some locks and make their way into the storehouse of God and take what was God's for themselves. But robbing was in fact much more than that. Them robbing God was them uh, stewarding what God has given them poorly, mishandling all that God has given them. Because all that we have, all that Israel was, had received from God in blessing, and all that you and I received from God, even like Pastor Leo read earlier, is from God. That the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So if you have something, whether you have a nice car, whether you have a nice home, whether you have a nice wife, everything you have, or a nice body, depending on some of us more, some of us not so much. But no matter where we are at on that, that is all a gift from God. It's on loan. It's not our guys, it's not ours. It's it's his. And and what we looked at was Acts 17. That the God who made the whole world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. So the the life that you have right now, the days that you've had, good days, rough days, blessed days, days maybe that don't seem so blessed are from God. The breath that you take in from your lungs, everyone is on loan from God. 
Every breath, every heartbeat, a gift from him. And in case we didn't get how broad this was, God said, and everything, every, everything is the Lord's, all of it. So robbing is actually not just taking, but it is keeping. It's keeping for ourselves what in fact belongs to God. And, and God is inviting Israel to repent of their self Worship by getting to the heart of, of, of giving. That, that worship is no longer about self-interest, but worship is self-sacrifice to the one who deserves all glory and all things, the one who is worthy of most praise. So the command to give biblically, like we saw last week, is overwhelmed by our willingness to give, by our joy to give. Out of love for Jesus, we give. After all, we know that giving mirrors the gospel. Because the gospel is that while we have given God our worst sin, God has given us his best, Jesus. And so the center of the, gos- the, center of the gospel is the God of giving of, up of his own son. And, and, and God declares then in Malachi, fill my storehouse, give a percentage of it, and do it out of joy. And so while Israel has changed, while Israel has been unfaithful, God hasn't changed. God hasn't moved. God has remained faithful. In fact, we read, God speaking of himself, for I, the Lord, I do not change. And that's an amazing thing about God, that God doesn't change because it means that God doesn't learn. God doesn't have to discover things about his creation. He knows all things. Um, God never has to improvise, never makes mistakes. Because if God changed his mind, Israel would not be, cons- would not be refined by the refiner's fire. Israel would be, would be consumed by the all-consuming fire. So in case Israel let some things get to their head because they were God's chosen ones, God reminds them, if I was up to change my mind, which I do not change, but if I did, you would be consumed by fire, right? Just to humble them a little bit, to remind them that they are not faithful, but he is faithful, that they are not good, but he is good, that he is unconditional, has unconditional love for them. While many stray, while many are not faithful, even while we may make promises that we do not keep, or we become bored with God, or we keep what is best for ourselves, God remains the same. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And no matter what tides of change come in your life, you can bank and hope and know and believe that Jesus Christ is your anchor, your cornerstone, and that no matter what suffering or trials come, You don't have to move because he never moves. He never changes. Praise the Lord that God never changes. And now we pick it up in Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. If you would stand for the reading of God's word. Struggling with a a little bit of a dry throat. I had um, amazing Mexican food yesterday by one of my brothers. He's remained nameless, so I don't steal his, his reward in heaven, but sorry if my voice gets a little raspy. Too much salsa. And... All right, Malachi chapter 3. These are, this is the word of the Lord. Verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the prophet 
of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before them of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, and the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we come before you this day looking at your word. Your word is true and it is powerful. And we need your power. We need your grace. And so today we, in this moment, we submit our lives under the authority under the power of your word. You esteem your word above your very name, that that you hold high regard for your words and, and may the position of our soul and our hearts this morning lean into these promises and lean into these warnings and lean into all that you would speak to us in your word. And God, even as you say you would spare your own son, God, may by your grace you spare us this morning. May we receive with joy and with gladness the gift of your son dying on a cross for us and rising again. And that you don't expect perfection from our lives, but you want faith for us, faith to believe, faith to trust. And grant that to, the, to us this morning. And help me to be faithful and to preach your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. The Bible is not about us. The Bible is not about us which I know that, that that kind of maybe rubs against the grain of, of some of us in here this morning because it's like, well, I've never heard that before. Sure, the Bible is about us. No, it's not. Because popular, or contrary to popular belief in many churches today, the Bible is not a book that is about you, that is about me, but the Bible is a book that is about God. And while the Bible is, yes, a book that is about God, this book is for us. So the scriptures and the Bible, even as we pick up your Bible, whether you read it on Sunday morning or Monday morning before you go to work or at lunch break or with your family or with your friends over a Bible study, when you open up the word of God, know that the the word of God is meant to reveal who God is for us. It's not about us, but the Bible is for us. And, and, And we cannot pick up and read the Bible like it's a magazine that you would pick up on your way out of of a grocery store, or you don't, 
We can't read through the Bible like it's a Facebook post. Just treat it kind of lightly and, 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 and like some things and not comment or like other things. The Bible is God's invitation for man to join in his redemptive plan. The Bible is a book about God that invites you and me to join in his, his plan from eternity past to redeem mankind unto himself. So we would tremble at his word, be amazed by his glory, see our sin, see him for who he is, and respond to him in worship and self-sacrifice in the giving of our lives. And the truth about God's word is never more clear than in our verses this morning from verses 13 to verses 18. That, that while the Bible is a book about God, here in these verses we have God showing us two types of people and God inviting no matter what type of person we are into his redemptive plan. Those who believe God's word through the prophet Malachi is the first group of people. They have been and they're wrong, but they have heard the truth. And instead of accusing God, it would seem as though these people are repenting. Instead of accusing God, they trust God that God will, in fact, bring justice one day. Even they don't see his justice in the present. These verses should strengthen your confidence for those who believe in the Lord Jesus. But then there are those, the second group, who deny God. They accuse God. They do not believe he is just. They raise their fists in arrogance of him. They drop these heavy burdens of these words that they put on the Lord. And if that's you, may God draw you by his grace from a place of denial to a place of belief. And, and just so you know, if you're skeptical, if you're not sure, and, and if that's something you struggle with, we're not saying never have doubts or never have struggles. But trust God and bring your doubts and bring your struggles before him. But the first group of people that we're going to read about, they didn't do that. That wasn't them. They would fall into the first, they would fall into the, the later category, the, the people who doubted. In fact, verse 13, we read, this is God speaking to Israel. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? What, what do we say to you? How have we spoken against you? Now, some of you, maybe, I can't believe I'm saying this, but are too young to, to, to know that there were these things that were invented before the mobile device, before the cell phone. And those were called landlines or telephones, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I still have one. What is that cell phone thing you're talking about? You're on the other end, but that's okay. Uh, but there's this thing that was created called a landline. And some of you remember growing up that if you would be waiting for a call like my sister and I, and you'd be sitting at home and your sister would be sitting at home and you'd be at one phone and she'd be at the other phone and you'd both be waiting for a phone call from a friend. The phone would ring you would both pick up the phone at the same time and say hello, then scream at each other and realize, I would often realize usually it was one of my sister's friends calling her to talk to her. And so my sister would say in the, the most loving voice ever, Travis, hang up the phone, right? <laughs> now I had a choice then. 
I could hang up the phone, but those who know how to work the landline, you can fake click the phone and eavesdrop on the conversation and hear all the gossip about a 13-year-old teenager, which was pretty fun because I could use that as blackmail later in case I ever got in trouble. And so I did that often. Now, not that I ever eavesdropped on her ever, or she did on me, right? She was not talking to me. She was talking to her friend, but I was eavesdropping into the conversation. God, in verse 13, is eavesdropping on the conversation between Israel and Israel. The Hebrew implies here, you can even see it in our English Bibles, that they are not talking to the Lord, but they are in fact talking to one another, and God has listened in on their conversations. Verse 13 Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord of hosts, but you say, how have we spoken against you? They're not denying that their words have not been hard. We weren't talking to you, God. We were talking to one another about you, but we weren't talking to you. So how could you say these words are hard against me? So unlike other portions of this book where they, in fact, do argue with God, here they're they're arguing against God with one another, really being busybodies and gossiping and talking smack on the God of the universe. Whether they're sitting down at dinner or shopping at the market or at a wedding party or some sort of festival or feast, They're having conversations with one another, completely ignorant of the fact that God is hearing every utterance from their mouth. God heard everything they said. The Lord is, we've read it a couple times, the Lord has been paying attention to the nation of Israel, all the details of their worship. In fact, some people in Matthew 9, this story reminds me of, of what happened in Matthew 9 when they when they brought a, a paralytic man, you remember the story, T- to Jesus? He was lying there on a bed. They brought him to Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 9 saw their faith. And he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Doesn't even address his physical healing. Which is interesting. Side note, God's priority is not physical healing, but the forgiveness of sins, spiritual healing. He does go on later to heal him. But God forgives him of his sins. And the Pharisees hear that. Who can forgive sins but God? They say it's blasphemy. And behold, some of the scribes, sorry, not Pharisees, scribes, uh, said to themselves, said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? not even saying it to one another, but thinking in themselves, in their hearts, saying this is blasphemy. God's like, why are you being evil in your heart? Can you imagine at that moment? Uh, wow. That man sees the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He looks at our motives. He looks at the thoughts of our minds. And and, and honestly, I I often think that, that my heart and my mind is hidden from God. Do you think that too? I know. Somehow like, maybe I can have this thought. Maybe I can have this emotion in my life and that's somehow alienated from God. But nothing is alienated from God. God knows everything we say and every thought we have 
There is not one part, one area of our life that is not censored from God. All of our life is a stage before the audience of God. And whatever we do in the dark, whatever we do in the bedroom, whatever we do online, whatever we do with our kids, whatever we do with our spouses, whatever we do with our friends, whatever we do at work, whatever we do, wherever we are, God is aware of all things. He sees all things and not just our thoughts, but even the motives of our heart. All of these things unfold before him. Psalm 132.9, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. God has heard Israel, even though they were not talking to them. And Jesus knew the evil thoughts of the scribes, even though they didn't say anything to him. And so I have to ask you, in your inner conversation within your inner man, is God being glorified? I'm convicted too, because I so often think, like I said, certain parts of my heart and my mind are censored from God, but that's not what we have here in these verses. God sees everything. He knows our thoughts from afar off. Is God being glorified through your thoughts and through your conversations with yourself or even with other people? If that's the case, may we be brutally honest with God about our thoughts towards him because he knows anyways. I mean, I've honestly prayed to God, God, right now in my life, I would rather satisfy my flesh and sin than enjoy you. And I know that that, that might be really strange for some to hear that, but he knows my heart and my mind anyways. Am I going to keep that from him when I sin anyways? Or I can be honest with him in that moment and by his grace, through the power of the Spirit, through praying and talking to him, being completely transparent and honest with him, God would work on me. God knows anyways. We can be brutally honest with him. He can handle it. Notice what verse 13 says. God says, your words are hard against me. God doesn't say I can't handle it. They're hard against me, but I can handle it. Be straight with me. Be honest with me. I see all anyways. I know your thoughts from afar off. I've heard the conversations that you've had with one another as though I didn't hear. I'm, there's nowhere you can run. Where can you flee from my presence? So God says, your word has been, have been hard against me. And they say, how? Well, because you said it's vain to serve God. Evildoers prosper and escape the wrath of God. That is an extremely harsh criticism of God's justice. But again, a perverted heart and mind sees things through the lens of perversion. So how can, how can they fully understand God's justice when they are in fact sinful looking through a glass dimly? Actually, Really, right now, the veil is over until Jesus Christ comes and they're believing in faith looking forward. We believe in faith looking back, but they were singing songs to God. They were sacrificing to God. They even covered his altar with tears, but God is not pleased with their worship. Their worship is careless. And so for these deniers, 
they believe serving God is in vain. It's meaningless. And this should sober us because, listen, with all passion, with all excitement, with enthusiasm and emotion, we can sing to Jesus, but if we do not worship him in faith, it's, it is vain. It is, it is meaningless that we can actually be doing religious activity, singing songs about God, but never worshiping him, talking about him, but never loving him more, thinking thoughts that are, that are even maybe biblical, but never having those thoughts transform our mind. And some in Israel are saying to one another, probably over Peta and hummus, I don't know, whatever they had then, if evildoers are doing better than us, if they're prospering and we're not, what, what's the point? Why, why even serve God? Verse 16. Well, we'll keep reading. Verse 14. You have said, it is vain to serve God. It is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or walking as mourning before the Lord of hosts? Now we call the arrogant blessed, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Now as heavy as this burden is, listen, it's not bad news for all of Israel. Up to this point, it's like, man, is, 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 the, is the burden going to lift for a moment? Is there anyone in Israel that is righteous? Verse 16, then those who feared the Lord Finally, three chapters in, we're led up for a breath of fresh air. <laughs> then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. See, some of Israel has heard all of the burdens dropped by Malachi's message. That the sword of the messenger has pierced their joints and their marrow. And instead of arrogantly accusing God, like those in verses 13 through 15, and the majority of what we've read in this book, they understand that God has loved them. They believe that God has declared his love for them. They believe that God chose them. They have heard the rebukes of careless worship. They have seen God's faithfulness from the times of their father Jacob. And they know that he never changes. And as God has made himself known to them throughout his characters and attributes, throughout these messages from Malachi, they tremble and they fear before the Lord. Yes, Lord, you have loved us. Yes, Lord, you have chosen us. Yes, Lord, you have redeemed us. Yes, Lord, you have rebuked us. We have been careless in worship. You have been faithful. You have never changed. We have changed. And so we read in these verses, verse 16, the fear of the Lord, and it's mentioned at the beginning and it's mentioned at the end of the verse. The fear of the Lord. There is fewer things more important for your relationship with God, for your faith in Jesus, for any of us, than beginning at the fear of the Lord. 
the inception of our belief starts with a fear of God. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning that you don't, we don't have true wisdom and knowledge of God and all of his characters and his attributes unless we fear him. The knowledge of the Holy One, Proverbs 9.10, is insight. So fear of the Lord. And, and what do we mean by fear of the Lord? As we're making our way through these verses, now as we're studying these verses, guys, in context, what is the fear of the Lord? I would say simply put, I mean, there's a lot to be said, but in context, fear of the Lord is fear of dishonoring him. Fear of the Lord is trembling before him. Fear of the Lord is, how can I disobey my heavenly father. Fear of the Lord is heavy. It's a fear of disobeying God. It's a fear of cheaply worshiping the king of kings. It's a fear of dishonoring God as our father. Guys, what I love is, just as God heard the thoughts, heard the words that they had with one another and understood the thoughts and the intents of their heart, for those who were bad, here God hears them. He knows their thoughts. And what Israel, what these ones who fear the Lord, what they don't do is in their heart, and their mind, in the deepest part of their inner being, they're not defending their sin. They see their sin and they fear God. And that is the beginning of wisdom for Israel and for us. The fear of the Lord. The beginning of knowing God begins with fearing God. And so many churches today, they don't even talk about the fear of the Lord. You don't hear about it because, well, it's kind of hellfire, you know, stuff. We don't really want to go there. We'd rather just talk about these other attributes of God. We'd rather talk about the love of God. We'd rather talk about the forgiveness of God. We'd rather talk about the kindness of God. But you don't, we can't understand God's love, God's kindness, God's forgiveness, God's justice without fearing him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if we're going to be wise and understanding who God is and all of his other attributes, we need to begin with a healthy trembling before his majesty. People don't want that today. Those messages don't settle well with their listeners. But if we don't fear God, we cannot know God for who he is. That's why, look, look at the end of verse 16. And the Lord paid attention and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and what esteemed his name. Fear of the Lord, and now he says, esteeming his, his name. Those who feared the Lord were written in this book of remembrance, and they esteemed the name of the Lord. In other words, they trembled at the very sound of God's name. They trembled. They shook at the sound of the name of the Lord. Not everyone, but some of them did. In other words, God's name wasn't a cuss word. God's name wasn't thrown around like, oh my God, or OMG, or hashtag OMG, or whatever. Oh my God, what? 
Oh my God, what? Like, does God's name really deserve to be at the end of something tragic, something that angers you, or something that shot? Oh my. These people who feared the Lord, they esteemed his name. They didn't throw around the name of God like a cuss word. They were so fearful of him. They trembled at his majesty. They made much of the name of the Lord. God's name shook people to their core in honor of him. A name so sacred, it was scarcely spoken. We don't even know today how fully to say what, 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 what they said then of Yahweh because we, we don't even know how to fully pronounce, we're unsure of how to pronounce the vowels of the sound of his name because they were afraid to do so. That at the very name of the Lord, they trembled. I just love that, that majesty of God where today we're, we're such a culture of dishonoring and and putting people low, and he is the king of kings. He is to be feared. Not only should we fear him, but we should esteem his name. Verse 17, they shall be mine. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And in the day I make up my treasured possession, that's so awesome. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. God says here, I want you to underline, they shall be mine. The remnant who fear God, God declares them to be his own. This is not everyone in Israel. Yeah, but I thought Israel was God's chosen people. They are, but why some and not all? Why are only some receiving? Why are only some? Not all fear the Lord, that's why. In Israel, not all fear the Lord. Not all who belong to Israel are Israel. Now, if you could uh, keep a bookmark here and... and Malachi, make your way to Romans chapters 8 and 9. In the New Testament, Paul expounds on this. In Romans 8, I mean, it has to be one of the most incredible sections of promises in all the Bible. And Paul goes into Romans 9 to talk about Israel, but at the end of Romans 8, we need to see this. We need, end of Romans 8, verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. I mean, Romans 9, I mean, that, and that's just, that's just two verses in Romans, 9, or Romans 8, rather. Now, that is a beautiful promise. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. What about Israel? What about Israel? 
Why? Going back to Malachi, why? Some yes and some no. Did God's word fail? Is God unjust? Romans 9.1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. Everything he's going to say in the rest of Romans 9 is heavy and hard, but he starts off with, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That's important there. According to the flesh. Verse four. They are the Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs from their race according to the what? Flesh. Is the Christ who is God over all, blessed and forever, amen. Verse six, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means, here it is, that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. There's your answer. The promise of God. Not all who are Israel are of Israel. So why some and not all? It's, it's not that God failed, but it's that it's not about being born into a family. It's not about being, doing religious activities. It is about being part of God's covenant and loving him and fearing him. And God says, I will be their father. They will be my children. In fact, we just read here in verse 17. Look at the end of verse 17. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. They didn't have Romans 8 and Romans 9. We do. We are adopted by, Jesus, by God in Jesus Christ. It is not according to anything we do in the flesh, but it is by the power and the spirit of God, which means we become the children of the promise. We are grafted in. No longer is it just one nation, but the promise fulfilled to Abraham is that he would be the father of many nations. And here is you and me being grafted into the promise. And God says, you're adopted. You're mine. I own you. You're my son. They shall be mine. That's what God says. Now, what does this mean in light of the gospel then? What does this mean now for us today? What are the implications of this? God spared us, his sons and daughters, because he did not spare his own son. God has spared you, his sons and his daughters, because he did not spare his own son. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Children of the promise. We are unworthy of the promise. We are outsiders. Ephesians chapter one says that before we were adopted by the father, we were children of Satan. Not a good thing. If you're, who's your daddy? Satan. Not a good day, right? <laughs> Not a good day. But we've been adopted from our father to, from our wicked father to our heavenly father. And God spares us because he gave us Jesus. And in Jesus, we are adopted. God becomes our family. We become his children. He becomes our father. So do you see the two people? Do you see the two groups here? There are those who have talked against God and in their words, they see the, right, the, the unrighteous prosper, they get angry, they doubt God, and they deny God. They deny God's goodness, they, they deny God's justice, they, want, they don't want anything to do with them. Might as well go and, and, and do whatever I want then serve him because the wicked prosper. But then, those who had ears to hear, as we talked about earlier in Malachi, ears to hear and hearts to receive the message, they feared the Lord. Which are you this morning? Are you the one who accuses God? Or do you fear God and do you tremble before him? If you are his child, he will spare his sons and his daughters. You are his, you are loved, and you are kept. But if you do not know Jesus, God didn't spare Jesus. But he gave Jesus to be murdered on your cross for your sin so that you would have eternal life in him. Psalm 103, we'll close with this. This is so good. Psalm 103, 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. Fear God, love him, and believe in him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you're, you drop these burdens to crush us into the image of your son, Jesus. And that if we don't know you, that we can come and to know you because you did not spare your own son. Thank you that you've made us children of the promise. Thank you that you've called us out to be your children and may those in here this morning who do not know you or who have at least not feared you yet, but in light of the gospel, in light of you giving up of your own son, may they respond through the power and the working of your Holy Spirit by faith in you. And may that faith be a faith of trembling, fearing you. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Lord, may we be a church. May we be a people. May we be individuals who fear you. Your word does not fail. You are unchanging. 
Thank you that you remain faithful even while we are unfaithful. And as we're praying, if, if you have been in here this morning, you've heard the gospel, you've heard this message, but for, the f- for this time that we've gone in the word, you, you, you fear him. And you never did before because you didn't understand that that was really what it meant to, to be his child. Fear him, believe him, love him. Repent of your sins and do not be the person that denies him and then accuses him of being unjust. Respond to the the moving of the Spirit by confessing your sin, by believing on his name, So, Lord, we thank you for this time to be in your word. And what a blessing it is to to be with the people who do fear you and and who do love you and who want to glorify you in, in their life. So, God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.